0: Chicago's finest internet radio show, making a world a better place, one show at a time. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air. Take it away, Dad. All right. Um... All right, welcome to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Blog Talk. Uh... I almost forgot where I was. (laughs) I guess it's that long weekend. (laughs) I guess it was that long weekend. I hope you guys had a great holiday and continue to have great holidays because this is that time of the year. Okay. My eye is itching. All righty. Broadcasting live in Chicago. It is a beautiful night. Usually it would be coming summer. Because at this time, six o'clock p m in Chicago, it would be it would be sun shining outside. But no, it's dark. <laughs> and there are some people out here who have already started putting up Christmas declarations. So have we here. And um, um, it, it's it's that it's that kind of uh, time of the year. Excuse me, it's that time of the year. And it's exciting because I love Christmas. I think Christmas is great. I love New Year's. I love uh, spring and summer and spring, summer, fall. Uh, Not too keen on winter, though, you know what I'm saying? All right. Welcome to the George Wilder Jr. Show. You can follow me on Facebook and uh, you can always listen to the podcast in case, you know, in case the show is not live, I'm not on or for for whatever reason. There's always plenty of podcasts. I mean, there are so many podcasts. I mean, I I think I have about 435. Is that right? And uh, I've been told some are good, some are not so good, but they're all enjoyable. Believe me. And I'm not just saying that because it's my show. Uh, I wouldn't have a show if, if it wasn't for you out there because um, uh, I want to thank everybody for their feedback, positive feedback, negative feedback, uh, all that kind of thing, callers or guests into the show. It, it, it's all beautiful. It's all wonderful. Some days I have guests. Some days I will not have guests. It just goes like that. Some days I would prefer not to have any phone calls because there's maybe something that I'm totally, totally passionate about, and I really want to get the word out that uh, – of what i'm thinking because i can get passionate on this show i can get passionate on any show yeah i've been invited to other shows i've been invited a lot of times i'll turn them down i don't know why i'm just <laughs> i don't know maybe i'm nervous or something but um yeah i've been been, been invited to other shows i've been invited to other uh medium media forms too but i i i turn those things down because i feel as though you know I like being in charge. What can I say? All right. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Follow me on Facebook, right here on Block Talk Radio. Click follow. I'm just right up there. And um Google, YouTube. I'm all over the place. I've you know, and um I'm I'm even in Band Hub, yeah. Band Hub. BandHub.com, dot com. G Wilder twenty eighteen. I believe that's <laughs> I believe that's the website. Anyway, I'm not giving it out so you can go there. I'm just trying to remember what it is, you know, because I, I have all of these numbers and names and passwords and usernames inside my head and other things are going on inside there, and so it can get a little bit confusing. Anyway, welcome to the George Water Junior Show. It, it It's very, very mild here in the city of Chicago, and I hope it's great wherever you are in the world, that you're having a great time, that the weather is fine and beautiful, and nobody's getting shot, and nobody's dying, and you know, so I just hope you, wherever you are in the world, that you're taking it easy and listening, listening to the George Wilder Jr. show. I, I, as I've said, there's plenty of podcasts of the show uh, on this uh, network, on this website. You know, there's a lot of them. And plus I'm in Facebooks so and I do have uh, uh, groups that I have created that uh, contain a lot of these uh Podcast a lot of these shows that I do. In case anybody just stumble on <laughs> onto one of the shows in and on Facebook, they would easily have to just click and hey, wow, there the show is and listen. You know, it's no, it's no, it's no uh, big thing about trying to listen to the George Wilder Jr. show. You know, you can listen anytime you want, any day you want, any day of the week you want, any day of the month, any day of the year. And, and listen, you know, even if I'm not on live, you can it, it'll sound live, you know. <laughs> it'll sound like a current show, and because I always try to keep everything so updated and, and um, during my shows. So you know, all right. Uh, once again, this is the George Wilder Jr. show on Black Talk Radio. I'm 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 ecstatic, if I can say it. My mouth is always twisted. I'm ecstatic on being back. I love the show. I love doing the show. I love uh, that you're out there. And uh, some people are supporting the show. Some people just listen. That's fine. That's great. That's beautiful. All right. What do we have? We have here Trump. All right. Donald Trump jabs at Pocahontas Warren at Navajo Ceremony. Now, who does that? Trump, I'm getting passionate. This guy, there's nowhere in the world that he can go Without insulting someone, he has to insult someone. Calling uh, other politicians names, calling people names—this is so petty and so thuggish. uh, Calling—I mean, he's been calling Elizabeth Warren uh, Pocahontas forever, and now he's—he's got um, Al Frankenstein. This guy and a lot of other people he's called names, uh, this is pathetic. This guy is so pathetic, so childish, so maniacal that it's a shame. I mean, he's at this ceremony, folks. He's at a ceremony. I believe it was today or yesterday, but he used a racial slur at, at a ceremony honoring the Navajo Indians. People who, are in, who were the first to be in this country. It wasn't white folks, even though they're trying to take it over. It was the Navajo Indians. They took the, <laughs> the Americans, the Englishmen from the English, Americans took the country from the, from the uh, Native Americans, which were the Indians, the Navajo. And uh, now they're trying to claim this country, America, as theirs. And they stole it from the Indians. Anyway, Trump use uses a racial slur at one of these events. At this event, and it's just awful. And he's being uh, a lot of people are um, getting in his ass about it. They're jumping in his butt about it because he's right now he's trying to get tax. Uh, reform through the Senate with all of this maniacal racial tension that he is causing, this may tie the bill up in in, in the Senate. A lot of people may not want to vote for the bill because he just can't seem to keep his foot out of his stupid mouth. Trump brings back Pocahontas slur of Elizabeth Warren at an event for Navajo American veterans. Can you believe that nobody told him to call. Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas at this uh, event, he just chose to call her Pocahontas. If anybody don't know what Pocahontas, who Pocahontas was, I mean, um, it's it's on the Internet, Google Googled it, okay. Okay, Warren responded. She said, It's deeply unfortunate that the president couldn't get through the event without having to throw out a racial slur. He, of course, he's a racist. What can you say? Donald Trump is a racist. He doesn't deny it, he doesn't walk away from it, he accepts it. As a, okay, uh, someone is responding, as a United States. Um, veteran, and I'm, you know, I find Trump to be a draft dodging coward who dishonors our country and constitution, and may he burn in hell. Oh, okay, thank you for that. I'm reading that, and a lot of people, you know, write in, and they'll write <laughs> right, their comments. Um, uh, and another person is saying, what an embarrassment to the country. Okay, and another person writes in, let's see, I'm reading uh responses from people who who write stuff into the show on whatever topic I may be writing on, uh talking about, sorry. And yet an ingrown toenail is easier to re- to remove, and there's a and there's a lot less pain involved in dealing with it. Wow, that's ouch, that hurts. Um okay, here's another one. I'm not gonna give out names here because I don't want anybody to think that uh, I'm promoting anything okay would someone please constitutionally remove this draft dodging old man from office before he gets us all nuked and i want to expand on that (laughs) on that one um i agree i think someone should uh the reason why I think the Republicans will not remove Trump is because they need Trump to try to get their agenda through, like tax reform, to hurt people. And another thing I think that the reason why they will not remove Trump is because they're waiting for this investigation to get through. They're waiting for the uh, investigation into Russia meddling into the 2016 election that's done. They're waiting for Robert Mueller to wrap up his investigation, and the latest thing I'm hearing that Trump could be implicated. There's a possibility that Trump uh, will be indicted, okay? I'm just saying this from all the reports that I read and some of the things I've heard, but a lot of things aren't uh, quite uh, in the fire yet, so we just have to wait and see what's going to happen. But uh, I'm hearing Robert Mueller is uh, on the case and uh, Robert Flynn is uh, singing like a bird. <laughs> so we just have to wait. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's not going to be a long wait to see if Trump will be walking out of the White House in leg irons and handcuffs. I would rather see, uh, instead of seeing Trump impeached, impeach- impeachment is too It's too light. I mean, I think he should be taken out of the White House in handcuffs. Uh, They're saying that an indictment is inevitable, that Trump will be be indicted. He will be indicted. That's what I'm hearing. And I hope that's true. A lot of us hope that is true. Okay, let's go back and read some of these comments that some of these people are are sending in about Trump. Okay, here's another one. I'm not going to read out anybody's name. Only he could insult people while taking part in a ceremony in a ceremony to honor them and not even realize that he has insulted them. Right. Exactly. I agree with this post. I totally agree. Trump is insulting people, and he don't even know that he's insulting people. The only time he, he knows that when he's insulting someone is when the rest of the, his, his, the people in the White House and people around him, and politicians get in his ass about it. That's the only time he realized he he has insulted people in the White House, the press secretary. Um, she's gonna come out the next day and say he was joking or he made a mistake or he didn't know what the hell he was talking about. He should not be in office, okay. I am a man of uh, the nation. My great grandfather and great uh, grandfather were at the Little Bighorn we're at the little bighorn. horn don the con is an insult to all people of this nation he's in, he's an insult to the world not just the nation he is an insult to the world um okay we'll take a few more okay i'm going down okay here's another one what makes me most what makes me most ang- angry is that by using this slur this racial slur trump has taken the uh, limelight away from the code talkers and what they were doing did in world war ii yeah he took whatever what was going on i agree with that he took whatever event that he was trying to acknowledge and put all the attention on himself it's all about trump trump can go to every event out here he'll go uh 12 days uh, overseas and all of it is about him, not what he went there for, not what, not the purpose of the event, but to uh, relish praise on him. He looks for you to relish praise on him. If you don't relish any praise on him, he doesn't like you. He's gonna call you a name, and he may call you. And majority of the time, it'll be a racial slur. All right, you've been listening to the George Washington Jr. Let's go with one more. Okay. Okay, we're waiting for it to load. Okay, what is wrong with that man? (laughs) Okay, even more, what is wrong with his supporters? Exactly. I mean, uh, okay, he's just a big bully and the president, which makes it a lot worse. Everybody is saying, what is wrong with Trump? What is wrong with that man? He's mentally ill, that's what's wrong with him. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing, that's what's wrong with him. He should not be president. He's totally unfit. Even he probably is saying that behind closed doors he's unfit. He he is not it. He is not it. Okay, we're going to go and uh check out the article where he says he calls uh he uses a he uses a racial slur against uh, Elizabeth Warren, at an event for Native American veterans. Wow. President Donald Trump made a joke about, about his nickname for uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren. Pocahontas. That's not a joke. They're calling it a joke now. It was no joke. This man be serious. But when he finds out that his ass is in a the sling, they'll, they'll come out and say, well, he was only joking. Donald Trump does not know how to make jokes. Donald Trump is not funny. He's pathetic, but these people will try to save face or try to save face, try to save Donald Trump's ass from all he uh, will get or is getting for this racial slur, and and it's not working with the American people. And it's not. It's something that we all know Trump is, and what and that's is what he's actually capable of, of insulting people. That's what he's like. He's, he's, he's been insulting people for the rest of his life, all of his life, actually. All of his life, he's been, he's been insulting people, and they know it. Okay, Trump was recognizing Native American cold talkers who served during World War II when he made a remark about Warren, a racial, about elizabeth warren quote i'm quoting here what he said at this event which shouldn't have been said quoting trump here you were here long before any of us were here although we have a representative in congress elizabeth warren who say who they say was here long ago long time ago they call her pocahontas that was totally uncalled for. Unquote. Sorry. Po- Pocahontas. I mean, this is just crazy. This man is a loon. Okay, now he, he may be screwing up whatever efforts that he's trying to make in order to get this tax reform bill passed by the Senate, which he would love to sign by the end of December. But uh, this guy is, he he is messing this all up and he is Donald Trump. All right, Native American code talkers were largely Navajo Marines who transmitted commands over the radio to soldiers overseas in their native language during World War II. Okay, all right, they played a big part in helping the the Americans win the war. After both sides became more adaptive at decoding encrypted messages, Native American code became more reliable than Morse code in the war, notably aiding US efforts in the battle of Emojima. Trump made his comments Monday while standing in front of a portrait of Andrew Jackson, President Andrew Jackson, the former president who signed the Indian Removal Act in. Uh, the Indian Removal Act of eighteen thirty that resulted in the tragedy Trail of tears, the tragic trail of tears Trail of Tears. I'm sorry, thousands of Native Americans died of cold, starvation, and disease during the hollowing track to the undeveloped western territories, okay? And Elizabeth responded uh she said this i'm quoting elizabeth warren here this was supposed to be an event to honor heroes people put it all people who put it all on the line for our country and people who because of their incredible work saved the lives of countless americans and their allies warren told uh host some host okay it is i'm quoting her again uh It is deeply unfortunate that the president of the United States cannot even make it through a ceremony honoring these heroes without having to throw out a racial slur. She goes on. But Donald Trump does this over and over and over and over, thinking somehow he's going to shut me up. Warren continues. It hasn't worked in the past and is not going to work in the future. Unquote. Wow. Uh, Elizabeth Warren is, is saying that she's not going to let Trump uh, bully her. I mean, a lot of people are saying that, that they're not going to let Trump bully them. And, uh, and uh, this, is, is, this is horrible. Trump brings back Pocahontas, slur of Elizabeth Warren, at an event for Native American veterans. Can you believe that? I mean, once a racist is always a racist. He can't help himself. It's in his genes. It's in his DNA. I'm hearing that his father was a was a KKK. Okay. Um, it's in his makeup. I mean, he can't help himself. Even if Donald Trump tried not to be a racist, it wouldn't work. It couldn't work. You ever heard Donald Trump give a speech? I mean, when especially when he's reading from a a, a, a script or a teleprompter, he sounds so unlike anything else. He sounds like a two and a half year old reading <laughs> reading a script. He's, he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. But um that's why I don't listen to any of his speeches. I mean because they sound boring, uh uninteresting. He seems he sounds like he don't he doesn't really get the meaning of what he's reading. He don't know what the premise is or or or, or what they used to, or what they used to call the uh the the main <laughs> the main meaning of the story uh, or whatever, or, or the text that he's reading, he just sounds like he doesn't, you know, he sounds like some kids. You know, when they, you know they don't know what they're reading, they're just reading words. Donald Trump, when he reads, he sounds like he's just reading words. He's not putting all of that together to find out what the hell is he actually reading? What it, What the hell is? is it actually about? You know, so Donald Trump should actually stop calling people names. That's not presidential for any president or anybody for that matter, especially someone who's 71, 72 years old, acting like an ass all the time, every day. It's pathetic. It's pathetic. Uh well. I try not to make this show about Donald Trump because I try to make it uh the show about making the world a better place. And one of the one of the ways, one of the many ways the world can be made of better place if Donald Trump is no longer president. Believe me, he he's an embarrassment. He he should be an embarrassment to his to to himself. To himself. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Black Talk Radio and talking about Donald Trump. Sometimes I really don't care to talk about him, but he's always in the news that there's always something coming out of the White House, coming out of his mouth or coming out of his butt. Um and uh, you know, it has to be be reported on because he's president he's a president i mean this is why he says a lot of things he says to try to you know throw us off distract us while the folks while the people in congress are screwing us over trying to craft some of these these uh, bills so they can sneak it to his desk and sign it so he can sign them Donald Trump wants to sign anything. It doesn't matter. He wants Congress to put something on his desk so he can have a win under his belt. But the way he keeps putting his foot in his mouth, Congress, uh, he's not going to have the vote to get this tax reform bill passed. And I'm hearing that it's a lot, a lot worse than they thought it was when it comes to um, the middle class and the poor all right we'll be right back services paid for through the ukrainian president's political
1: party i think it's not
0: All right, uh, uh, this is George Wilder. This is George Wilder on the George Wilder Jr. Show, broadcasting live out of the city of Chicago. It should be around, I'm thinking, but it's unseasonably seasonally warm, so it should be around, I don't know, 40, 45, 50, near the lake or something like that. Anyway, Archbishop, the Archbishop of Canterbury, I'm quoting him here, he's saying, I genuinely don't understand Christians who back Trump? Neither do I. I would like to, I don't know that. I I don't see how they can call themselves Christians. You know, I, and you've got so many of these preachers and pastors and ministers out here who are backing Donald Trump. I mean, they go on these uh, talk shows, on radio talk shows, TV talk shows, Sunday shows, on some of these um, networks. And they get up there and they just defend the hell out of this unfit president. It makes you wonder what the hell are they telling their congregation? You know, and, and uh, defending this racist, this pig, this liar, this con man, defending him. Christians, and they're calling themselves Christian. People have, um, people have, uh, I mean, I think about a lot of these Terrorist attacks and how he responded to them, as if he was saying, "Well, too bad, too late. So what? There will no, there will not be any gun control, and the Christians, uh, uh, they won't. uh, People who these so-called Christians, I call them. uh, I don't understand how they are supporting Trump, but there's, they are behind this guy. I, I think." To, to some of these Christians, so called Christians who, who support Trump, I think if Trump went out in the street and knocked somebody in the head and took their cell phone, uh, they would still support him, no matter what. Just like uh, Trump is supporting this Roy Moore. Uh, 20, maybe 20 people, 20 women or less, have come out and, and with proven accusations against this, against this guy. Or you can talk about the accusations against. Against Conyers, you can talk, talk about the accusations against uh, Franklin Franken, Al Franken. But Trump is the president of the United States, and nothing happens to him. He seems to get a free pass on everything. But I think that this guy's free pass is over. Trump is doing nothing but making money off of you, me, and all of us taxpayers. He's profiting, putting it in the bank. (laughs) He's profiting. Okay. Um, Reverend Justin Wilby is baffled by Christians who back the president. We all are. We're saying, hey, I'm not going to church no more. I mean, what is it with Christians? People who believed in Jesus Christ and God, backing a man who is probably no doubt about it an atheist. You know, it's just beyond me. Okay, let's go. All right, the head of the uh, Cleric Church of England says he's per- perplexed by Christians who support the president, uh, support President Donald Trump. Um, I'm quoting him. There's two things going through my mind. Do I say what I think, or do I say what I should say? I'm going to say what I think, said Welby. No, I don't understand it. I really genuinely do not understand where that is coming from. White evangelist Christians have been, um, unquote, white evangelist Christians have been the key part of Trump's base, no doubt about it. 81% of them uh, voting for him in 2016. A Fox News poll last month found 66% approve of the job he's doing. These are Christians. These are people who are going to church. 66% approve of his job. Wow. I don't understand that either. They're supposed to be God-fearing people. They're supposed to be wearing the cloak of Jesus Christ. And here they are supporting and taking and defending a sexual pervert, among other things. Wow. Uh, that makes you want to say, hey, wow. I th- I, now I know why some of the... Uh, Uh, Some of these churches synagogues and why why uh, membership is down and why people aren't going to church much anymore or or just giving up. Maybe this is one of the reasons too many of these Christians. God fearing Christians supporting someone who isn't God fearing, who doesn't give a damn about your religion. And that's one of the things about Trump. He doesn't care who you are, what you are, what your religion is. He's gonna screw you just as badly as he screws just about everybody else. When it, in terms of uh, jobs, <laughs> healthcare, uh, the economy, you know, uh, he's trying to do trying to undo everything Obama has done. He's taken away uh, y- your protections when it comes to banking. The banks can cheat you out of your money, and you can't do anything about it. You know, and that—that's the bottom line. And he's taken away a lot of these uh, uh, protections, and he's such an idiot. He is such a bone idiot. Okay, it's six six thirty-six, Chicago time, on the George Wilder Jr. Show. My guest is John P. Carini. That could probably. Not happen, folks, because if it was going to happen, it would have happened already. But anyway, the show must go on. The show must go on. And it's always baffling to me to why Christians, God-fearing Christians, back someone like Trump. And it's, it's always... It's always... I just don't think it's a good thing. I mean, this is just me. I just don't think it's it's good for uh, – uh, I, I actually think church people should actually stay out of politics, especially within the church. Outside of the church, you can talk about politics if you want to. Uh, but inside the church, I don't think there should be anything political going on inside the church. It should be between uh, you and your God when you are, are entering a, a, a place of worship. It shouldn't be anything in there about politics, but Christians, I mean, they, a lot of these pastors, pastors and ministers and and, uh, deacons and all of these people calling themselves Christians and supporting Trump. And they are really adamant when it comes to their support for Trump. I mean, you, I mean, they're trying to give you every excuse in the world to why they don't think he's guilty of sexual harassment. They think he's a great president even though he's making things harder and harder even for them and um it it is just awful i think
2: This is the Dalamore Daily, and I'm Jesse Dalamore. Well today, Donald Trump continued his obsessive assault on anything and everything Barack Obama accomplished during the eight years he served this country as President of the United States. This morning it was announced that equality and freedom of speech, among many other fundamental concepts, do not matter to Donald Trump's Federal Communications Commission. Net neutrality is being scrapped, and massive power is being transferred to multi-billion-dollar corporations. The profits and power of these individual corporations who provide Internet service is more valuable to this administration than your rights to access the Internet freely. At their whim, these corporations will be able to curtail your Internet access to anything and everything as they see fit. Let me give you a brief example. Comcast is one of the owners of Hulu. Under these new draconian rules, they will now be able to slow your internet service access to their competitor, Netflix, if they choose. They can throttle down speeds and make your consumption of a competing product a miserable experience. This opens the door for internet service providers to charge you more to access certain websites and content their whim. This is bad for everyone. Look at it like this. Eliminating net neutrality will be like being forced by the government to take toll roads everywhere. Everywhere. Toll roads owned by massive corporations. Corporations that can set freeway speed limits to 20 miles an hour if they so choose. This creates a fertile atmosphere for monopolies which strangles competition, which is the lifeblood of creativity and innovation. We want more choices, not fewer. And Donald Trump, in his deranged mission to undo the Obama legacy, is smashing it all. Even the aspects that were universally accepted as positive and beneficial for our society. Donald Trump doesn't
3: All right, welcome back. Democratic mega-donor and billionaire environmentalist Tom Steyer is known for spending millions of his own dollars on Democratic campaigns. Well, now the party's single biggest donor is spending again. Only this time, his money is going to a national TV ad campaign calling for President Trump's impeachment. Take a look.
4: A Republican Congress once impeached a president for far less. Yet today, people in Congress and his own administration know this president is a clear and present danger who's mentally unstable and armed with nuclear weapons
3: Tom Steyer is a retired former hedge fund founder and manager who poured ninety one million dollars of his own money into democratic campaigns just last year alone and he's joining us now live. Good to see you Tom. Hey
4: Frederica, how are you?
3: I'm good. So this ad campaign according to one of your aides cost more than ten million dollars and given the Republican controlled Congress, you know, why do you feel that this is money well spent?
4: Well, what we're trying to do is we're trying to give a voice to the American people because I think Democrats and Republicans alike know that this president is in fact a clear and present danger to their health and safety. And so we're trying to give them a chance to go to their representatives and make this case because that's the the American people still their voice is the most powerful thing in our country. And if they speak up, then elected officials have to listen.
3: But on what grounds do you believe Trump should be impeached? Because it has to be more than a belief of clear and present danger or access to nuclear weapons.
4: He has violated his trust to the Constitution and to the American people. By firing James Comey, he clearly obstructed justice. That is the historical basis for impeaching a president. He has been, the emoluments clause has been um, broken. The fact of the matter is he has clearly broken his trust with the Constitution. The reason that we're calling for it is that it's urgent that it happen now. The fact of the matter is he is putting us at risk on a daily basis, and he has, you, you can go to legal scholars, he has clearly met the standard for impeachment, but we have to have it. And so that's why we're going to the American people and asking them to raise their voices and say, we need a change.
3: Uh, but, but there are parameters in which the, the president does have the authority to hire and fire the FBI director.
4: Yes, but obstructing justice is not one of them. The fact of the matter is if you look at the historical impeachments, they were all based around obstructing justice mm. at much lower levels or equivalent levels to what he's already done publicly.
3: Okay, well, looking into obstruction of justice, among the many things that uh, congressional uh, investigations are looking into, the special counsel, Robert Mueller, also looking into it with his investigations, why not wait until those investigations are complete?
4: Because it is urgent. Because, in fact, we are giving this president a new parameter that he not only has to meet the old parameters for being impeached. Now, all of a sudden, there's a much lower standard that he is allowed to do things that no one else has ever been allowed to do before. We should not be breaking the constitution to keep in office a president who is putting at risk the safety and health of Americans on a daily basis. I don't understand why we're delaying. In fact, it's urgent right now that we act. And that's what we're asking the American people to stand up and speak for.
3: So, as the DNC, uh, Democratic National Committee, gathers for its fall meeting this uh, weekend, among the concerns that the party lacks resources to win midterm elections, do you plan to put money into other 2018 campaigns?
4: Well, what we really do, Frederica, is we're really a grassroots organization, which means is we make it possible for local groups to go door-to-door, to phone bank, to talk citizen to citizen about the issues of the day that's what we did in 2016 and of course we're going to keep doing that in 2017 we're already doing it and 2018 our whole push is the old fashioned idea that american citizens talking to each other about the most important issues of the day is the way that we have a vibrant and just democracy and we will continue doing that just the way we have for the last few years
3: so so quickly, might this be a prelude to your own uh, potential campaign, an opinion piece in the L.A. Times this weekend suggesting that you may be trying to build your own political brand uh, with this campaign, that you may be eyeing Senate Dianne Feinstein's seat after saying, you know, she will run for a fifth term? Uh, what's, what's the process? I of that? have said
4: that I am willing to do anything, including running for office, to push forward a positive agenda for california and for america and that's true i haven't taken that off the table but this it move for impeachment stands by itself it is its own campaign because i think everyone in america knows this is true all of those elected officials in dc republicans and democrats know it's true but no one wants to say it and what we're trying to do is say we're willing to say it and we're asking the american people to say it because it's true it's important it's got to happen and we we got to give it a voice
3: all right, Tom Sayer, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it.
4: Frederica, thank
1: you. <laughs> Ashley Judd, stupid fucking slut. You can't sue someone for calling them a cunt. If you can't handle the internet, fuck off, whore. I wish Ashley Judd would die a horrible death. She is the absolute worst. Ashley Judd, you're the reason women shouldn't vote. Twisted is such a bad movie, I don't even want to rape it. Whatever you do, don't tell Ashley Judd she'll die alone with a dried out vagina. If I had to fuck an older woman, oh my God, I would fuck the shit out of Ashley Judd. That bitch is hot AF, the unforgivable shit I would do to her. Online misogyny is a global gender rights tragedy, and it is imperative that it ends. And women's voices and our allies' voices are constrained in ways that are personally, economically, professionally, and politically damaged. And when we curb abuse, we will expand freedom. I am a Kentucky basketball fan, so on a fine March day last year, I was doing one of the things I do best. I was cheering for my Wildcats. The daffodils were blooming, but the referees were not blowing the whistle when I was telling them to. they're very friendly to me before the opening tip, but they really ignore me during the game. Three of my players were bleeding, so I did the next best thing. I tweeted. It is routine for me to be treated in the ways I've already described to you. It happens to me every single day on social media platforms such as Twitter and Facebook. Since I joined Twitter in 2011, misogyny and misogynists have amply demonstrated they will dog my every step. My spirituality, my faith, being a hillbilly, I can say that, you can't, all of it is fair game. And I have responded to this with various strategies. I've tried engaging people, this one guy was sending me hyper sexual nasty stuff and there was a girl in his avatar and I wrote him back and said is that your daughter I feel a lot of fear that you may think about and talk to women this way and he surprised me by saying you know what you're right I apologize sometimes people want to be held accountable this one guy was musing to I don't know who that maybe I was the definition of a cunt I was married to a Scot for 14 years, so I said, cunt means many different things in different countries. But I'm pretty sure you epitomize the global standard of a dick. (laughs) I've tried to rise above it, I've tried to get in the trenches, but mostly I would scroll through these social media platforms with one eye partially closed, trying not to see it, but you can't make a cucumber out of a pickle. What is seen goes in, it's traumatic. And I was always secretly hoping in some part of me that what was being said to me and about me wasn't true. Because even I, an avowed self-declared feminist who worships at the altar of Gloria, (laughs) internalized the patriarchy This is really critical. Patriarchy is not boys and men, it is a system in which we all participate, including me. On that particular day, for some reason, that particular tweet after the basketball game triggered something called a cyber mob, this vitriolic, global outpouring of the most heinous Hate speech, death threats, rape threats. And don't you know, when I was sitting at home alone in my nightgown, I got a phone call, and it was my beloved former husband, and he said on a voicemail, Loved one, what is happening to you is not okay. And there was something about him taking a stand for me that night that allowed me to take a stand for myself, and I started to write. I started to write about sharing the fact that I'm a survivor of all forms of sexual abuse, including three rapes, and the hate speech I get in response to that. These are just some of the comments posted to news outlets. Being told I'm a snitch is really fun. Thank you, Jesus. May your grace and mercy shine. So I wrote this feminist op-ed. It is entitled, Forget Your Team." It is your online gender violence toward girls and women that can kiss my righteous ass. (laughs) And I did that alone and I published it alone because my chief advisor said, please don't, the rain of retaliatory garbage that is inevitable, I fear for you. But I trust girls and I trust women and I trust our allies. It was published, it went viral, it proves that every single day Online misogyny is a phenomenon endured by us all all over the world and when it is intersectional, it is worse. Sexual orientation, gender identity, race, ethnicity, religion, you name it, it amplifies the violence endured by girls and women and for our younger girls, it is worse. It's clearly traumatizing. Our mental health, our emotional well-being, are so gravely affected because the threat of violence is experienced neurobiologically as violence. The cortisol shoots up, the limbic system gets fired. We lose productivity at work. And let's talk about work. Our ability to work is constrained. Online searches of women applying for jobs reveal nude pictures of them, false allegations, they have STDs, their addresses indicating that they are available for sex, with real examples of people showing up at this house for said sex. Our ability to go to school is impaired. 96% of all postings of sexual images in our young people Girls, our girls, our boys are two to three times more likely non-consensually to share images. And I want to say a word about revenge porn. Part of what came out of this tweet was my getting connected with allies and other activists who are fighting for a safe and free Internet. We started something called the Speech Project, curbing abuse, expanding freedom. And that website provides a critical forum because there is no global legal thing to help us figure this out. But we do provide on that website a standardized list of definitions because it's hard to attack a behavior in the right way if we're not all sharing a definition of what that behavior is. And I learned that revenge porn is often dangerously misapplied. It is the non-consensual sharing of an image used tactically to shame and humiliate a girl or woman that attempts to pornography us. Our natural sexuality is, I don't know about yours, pretty gorgeous and wonderful and my expressing it does not pornography make. So I have all these resources that I'm keenly aware so many people in the world do not. I was able to start the speech project with
0: colleagues.
1: I can often get a social media company's attention. I have a wonderful visit to Facebook HQ coming up.
0: Hasn't helped the idiotic reporting
1: standards yet.
0: I actually pay someone to scrub my social media
1: feeds attempting to spare my brain the daily iterations of the trauma of hate speech. And guess what? I get hate speech for that. Oh, you live in an echo chamber. Well, guess what? Having someone post a photograph of me with my mouth open saying they can't wait to come on my face, I have a right to set that boundary. And this distinction between virtual and real is specious, because guess what? That actually happened to me once when I was a child. And so that tweet brought up that trauma, and I had to do work on that. But you know what we do? We take all of this hate speech, and we disaggregate it, and we code it, and we give that data so that we understand the intersectionality of it. You know, when I get porn, when it's about political affiliation, when it's about age, when it's about all of it. We're gonna win this fight. There are a lot of solutions, thank goodness. I'm going to offer just a few, and of course I challenge you to create and contribute your own. Number one, we have to start with digital media literacy, and clearly it must have a gendered lens. Kids, schools, caregivers, parents, it's essential. Two, Shall we talk about our friends in tech? Said with dignity and respect, the sexism in your workplaces must end. (laughs) Edge, The global standard for gender equality is the minimum standard and guess what? Silicon Valley, if L'Oreal in India, in the Philippines, in Brazil and in Russia can do it, you can too. Enough excuses. Only when women have critical mass in every department at your companies, including building platforms from the ground up, will the conversations about priorities and solutions change. And more love for my friends in tech profiteering off misogyny and video games must end. I'm so tired of hearing you talk to me at cocktail parties like you did a couple weeks ago in Aspen about how deplorable hashtag Gamergate was when you're still making billions of dollars off games that maim and dump women for sport, BAFTA, as the Italians would say. Enough. Our friends in law enforcement have much to do because we've seen that online violence is an extension of in-person violence. In our country, more girls and women have been murdered by their intimate partners than died on 9-11 and have died since in Afghanistan and Iraq combined. And it's not cool to say that, but it is true. We care so much geopolitically about what men are doing over there to women over there, In 2015, 72,828 women used intimate partner violence services in this country. That is not counting the girls and women and boys who needed them. Law enforcement must be empowered with up-to-date internet technology, the devices, and an understanding of these platforms, how they work. The police wanted to be helpful when Amanda Hess called about the death threat she was getting on Twitter, But they couldn't really when they said, what's Twitter? Our legislators must write and pass astute legislation that reflects today's technology and our notions of free and hate speech. In New York recently, the law could not be applied to a perpetrator because the crimes must have been committed, even if it was anonymous, they must have been committed by telephone, in mail, by telegraph. the language must be technologically neutral. So apparently, I've got a pretty bold voice. So let's talk about our friends, white men. You have a role to play and a choice to make. You can do something or you can do nothing. We're cool in this room, but when this goes out, everyone will say, oh my God, she's a reverse racist. That quote was said by a white man, Robert Morris, chairperson, Price Waterhouse Cooper. He asked me to include it in my talk. We need to grow support lines and help groups so victims can help each other when their lives and finances have been derailed. We must, as individuals, disrupt gender violence. As it is happening, 92% of young people, 29 and under, witness it. 72% of us have witnessed it. We must have the courage and urgency to practice stopping it as it is unfolding. What you doing? And lastly, believe her. Believe her.
5: I'm here today to talk about a disturbing question, which has an equally disturbing answer. My topic is the secrets of domestic violence. And the question I'm going to tackle is the one question everyone always asks. Why does she stay? Why would anyone stay with a man who beats her? I'm not a psychiatrist, a social worker, or an expert in domestic violence. I'm just one woman with a story to tell. I was 22. I had just graduated from Harvard College. I'd moved to New York City for my first job as a writer and editor at 17 Magazine. I had my first apartment, my first little green American Express card, and I had a very big secret. My secret was that I had this gun loaded with hollow point bullets pointed at my head by the man who I thought was my soulmate many, many times. The man who I loved more than anybody on earth, held a gun to my head and threatened to kill me more times than I can even remember. I'm here to tell you the story of crazy love, a psychological trap disguised as love, one that millions of women and even a few men fall into every year. It may even be your story. I don't look like a typical domestic violence survivor. I have a BA in English from Harvard College, an MBA in marketing from Wharton Business School. I spent most of my career working for Fortune 500 companies, including Johnson & Johnson, Leo Burnett, and the Washington Post. I've been married for almost 20 years to my second husband, and we have three kids together. My dog is a black lab, and I drive a Honda Odyssey minivan. So my first message for you is that domestic violence happens to everyone. All races, all religions, all income and education levels. It's everywhere. And my second message is that everyone thinks domestic violence happens to women, that it's a women's issue. Not exactly. Over 85% of abusers are men. And domestic abuse happens only in intimate, interdependent, long-term relationships. In other words, in families. The last place we would want or expect to find violence. Which is one reason domestic abuse is so confusing. I would have told you myself that I was the last person on earth who would stay with a man who beats me. But in fact, I was a very typical victim because of my age. I was 22. And in the United States, women ages 16 to 24 are three times as likely to be domestic violence victims as women of other ages. And over 500 women and girls this age are killed every year by abusive partners, boyfriends and husbands in the United States. I was also a very typical victim because I knew nothing about domestic violence, its warning signs or its patterns. I met Connor on a cold, rainy January night. He sat next to me on the New York City subway and he started chatting me up. He told me two things. One was that he, too, had just graduated from an Ivy League school, and that he worked at a very impressive Wall Street bank. But what made the biggest impression on me that first meeting was that he was smart and funny, and he looked like a farm boy. He had these big cheeks, these big apple cheeks, and this wheat blonde hair, and he seemed so sweet. One of the smartest things Connor did from the very beginning was to create the illusion that I was the dominant partner in the relationship. He did this, especially at the beginning, by idolizing me. We started dating, and he loved everything about me, that I was smart, that I'd gone to Harvard, that I was passionate about helping teenage girls and my job. He wanted to know everything about my family and my childhood, my hopes and dreams. Connor believed in me, as a writer and a woman in a way that no one else ever had. And he also created a magical atmosphere of trust between us by confessing his secret, which was that as a very young boy starting at age four, he had been savagely and repeatedly physically abused by his stepfather. And the abuse had gotten so bad that he had had to drop out of school in eighth grade, even though he was very smart and he'd spent almost 20 years rebuilding his life, which is why that Ivy League degree and the Wall Street job and his bright, shiny future meant so much to him. If you had told me that this smart, funny, sensitive man who adored me would one day dictate whether or not I wore makeup, how short my skirts were, where I lived, what jobs I took, who my friends were, and where I spent Christmas, I would have laughed at you because there was not a hint of violence or control or anger in Connor at the beginning. I didn't know that the first stage in any domestic violence relationship is to seduce and charm the victim. I also didn't know that the second step is to isolate the victim. Now, Connor did not come home one day and announce, you know, hey, all this Romeo and Juliet stuff has been great, but I need to move into the next phase where I isolate you and I abuse you. (laughs) So I need to get you out of this apartment where the neighbors can hear you scream and out of this city where you have friends and family and coworkers who can see the bruises. Instead, Connor came home one Friday evening and he told me that he had quit his job that day, his dream job. And he said that he had quit his job because of me, because I had made him feel so safe and loved that he didn't need to prove himself on Wall Street anymore. And he just wanted to get out of the city and away from his abusive, dysfunctional family and move to a tiny town in New England where he could start his life over with me by his side. Now, the last thing I wanted to do was leave New York, and my my dream job, But I thought you made sacrifices for your soulmate. So I agreed, and I quit my job, and Connor and I left Manhattan together. I had no idea I was falling into crazy love, that I was walking headfirst into a carefully laid physical, financial, and psychological trap. The next step in the domestic violence pattern is to introduce the threat of violence and see how she reacts. And here's where those guns come in. As soon as we moved to New England, you know that place where Connor was supposed to feel so safe? He bought three guns. He kept one in the glove compartment of our car. He kept one under the pillows on our bed. And the third one he kept in his pocket at all times. And he said that he needed those guns because of the trauma he'd experienced as a young boy. He needed them to feel protected. But those guns were really a message for me. And even though he hadn't raised a hand to me, my life was already in grave danger every minute of every day.
0: Connor first physically attacked
5: me five days before our wedding.
0: It was 7 AM. I still had on my nightgown.
5: I was working on my computer trying to finish a freelance writing assignment. And I got frustrated. And Connor used my anger as an excuse to put both of his hands around my neck and to squeeze so tightly that I could not breathe or scream, and he used the chokehold to hit my head repeatedly against the wall.
0: Five days later, the ten bruises on my
5: neck had just faded, and I put on my mother's wedding dress, and I married him.
0: Ask, Despite what had know. happened,
5: I was sure we were going to live happily know, ever after, because I loved him and he ask. loved well, me so much, talk. and he was right. very, very sorry. He had just been really stressed out by the wedding and by becoming a family with me.
0: To to it was an
5: isolated ask. incident, and he was never going to hurt me again. You
0: learn a lot if you ask questions. It happened You'll twice more on the honeymoon.
5: The first time. I was driving to find a secret beach, and I got lost.
0: And he punched me in the side of my head
5: so hard that the other side of my head repeatedly hit the driver's side window. And then a few days later, driving home from our honeymoon, he got frustrated by traffic,
0: and he threw a cold Big Mac in my face. Connor proceeded
5: to beat me once or twice a week for the next two and a half years of our marriage. I was mistaken in thinking that I was unique and alone in this situation. One in three American women experiences domestic violence or stalking at some point in her life. And the CDC reports that fifteen million children are abused every year. Fifteen million.
0: I know everybody angle my very good ground, but you know, you gotta you gotta be your own leader.
5: Back to my question. Why did I stay? Let
0: people come to you. Going to the answer is they easy. I didn't they know he was abusing something.
5: me. Even though he that held those loaded guns to my head, pushed me downstairs, threatened to kill our dog, pulled the key out of the car ignition as I drove down the highway, poured coffee grinds on my head as I dressed for a job interview. I never once thought of myself as a battered wife. Instead, I was You're a very strong nothing. woman in love invite. with a deeply troubled man. And I was the only person you on earth around you. who could help Connor face his demons. The other question everybody asks
0: don't is, why
5: doesn't she just leave?
0: Don't get curious. Have why no didn't ambition. I walk out? Have no dream left any you fucking screwed.
5: To me, this is the saddest and most painful question that people ask. Because we victims know something you usually don't. It's incredibly dangerous to leave an abuser, because the final step in the domestic violence pattern is kill her. Over 70% of domestic violence murders happen after the victim has ended the relationship, after she's gotten out, because then the abuser has nothing left to lose. Other outcomes include long-term stalking, Even after the abuser remarries,
0: denial of financial resources
5: and manipulation of the family court system to terrify the victim and her children, who are regularly forced by family court judges to spend unsupervised time with the man who beat their mother. And still we ask, why doesn't she just leave? I was able to leave because of one final sadistic beating that broke through my denial. I realized that the man who I loved so much was going to kill me if I let him. So I broke the silence. I told everyone. The police, my neighbors, my friends and family, total strangers. And I'm here today because you all helped me. We tend to stereotype victims as grisly headlines, self-destructive women, damaged goods. The question, why does she stay, is code for some people for it's her fault for staying, as if victims intentionally choose to fall in love with men intent upon destroying us. But since publishing Crazy Love, I have heard hundreds of stories from men and women who also got out, who learned an invaluable life lesson from what happened, and who rebuilt lives, joyous, happy lives, as employees, wives, and mothers, lives completely free of violence. Like me, because it turns out that I'm actually a very typical domestic violence victim and a typical domestic violence survivor. I remarried a kind and gentle man, We have those three kids. I have that black lab, and I have that minivan. What I will never have again, ever, is a loaded gun held to my head by someone who says that he loves me. Now right now, maybe you're thinking, wow, this is fascinating. Or wow, how stupid was she? But this whole time, I've actually been talking about you. I promise you there are several people listening to me right now who are currently being abused or who were abused as children or who are abusers themselves. Abuse could be affecting your daughter, your sister, your best friend right now. I was able to end my own crazy love story by breaking the silence. I'm still breaking the silence today. It's my way of helping other victims. And it's my final request of you. Talk about what you heard here. Abuse thrives only in silence. You have the power to end domestic violence simply by shining a spotlight on it. We victims need everyone. We need every one of you to understand the secrets of domestic violence. Show abuse the light of day by talking about it with your children, your coworkers, your friends and family. Recast survivors as wonderful, lovable people with full futures. Recognize the early signs of violence and conscientiously intervene, de-escalate it, show victims a safe way out. Together, We can make our beds, our dinner tables, and our families the safe and peaceful oases they should be. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Hey there, friends and fans. This is George Wilder Jr. of the George Wilder Jr. Show. (laughs) I want you to enjoy my fictional writings located on Amazon and elsewhere. Uh, The website is www.amazon.com slash author slash gwilder. Or go to the Amazon website and type my name in the text bar above to either order or download a book, a story, essays novels novelettes whatever you want to do and i want to thank you very much for that and as always good reading this is george wilder good jr. reading and keep listening george wilder jr there's always keep more to listening, come. Keep all listening. right thank you everybody That's, bye all right uh, <laughs> okay former trump advisor says he whether see doug jones a democrat doug jones in office then disaster Roy Moore. If you've been following this, folks, you know what I'm talking about. Former Trump advisor says he'd rather see Doug Jones in office than the Republican disaster Roy Moore. This is something else. Uh, Roy Moore should resign. I mean, you know, uh, they, they they can't even try to compare Roy Moore, Al Franken, because Al Franken, if, he's He has apologized. he's genuine genuinely sorry for for his actions uh, for some of the that he uh, you know you know cause uh, sorrow, some of the sorrow and hurt that he's caused some of these young ladies, if in fact, a lot of these young ladies are being truthful, he said, uh, you know so th- there's no comparison. I mean, Roy Moore. It seems like this guy was a pedophile back in his 30s and 40s. He was, uh, and there's plenty plenty of proof, saying that he was trolling young girls, 14 and 16 years old, in his 30s. There's police reports out that, uh, there's police uh, who have said that, that he was trolling. You know, and there's so many women who came out to say that. So some of this stuff is believable, you know uh, you know I'm gonna say some uh, because there's a possibility that maybe all of it's believable and the thing here is Al Franken, the senator from Minnesota Al Franken, apologized. Roy Moore did not apologize because he feels that if he apologized, it's like admitting that he, which there is so much proof and evidence out there, I mean, boundaries of it. But his supporters say they're going to still vote for him regardless. He's a pedophile. He's a, he, he could be a pedophile. He could be a racist. He could be any of those things. A lot of this stuff rings true. But still in all, these folks are uh, going to vote for him. Uh, just like a lot of these Christians out here, these folks who call themselves Christians, support Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is one of the head, he's the head groper in chief. Now he's trying to say Donald Trump's now Donald Trump is trying to say, excuse me, that the tape is fake, that his Access Hollywood react about grabbing women by their gentiles. He's saying it's now fake. But when it first came out, he actually apologized for it. He said, I'm sorry, I apologize. He apologized on camera. Now he's saying that it's fake. Uh, uh, the liberal media, probably, or the Democrats, you know, uh, it's it's a fake. But then he's, Donald Trump cannot have it both ways. We all know that this man is a pathological liar. He's such a liar that it's, he has a mental problem. There's some kind of rock uh up there that it's not a brain it's a damn rock in his uh, inside his head he doesn't know uh you know he the guy is totally mentally ill but anyway former trump advisor says he's rather this is a republican and roy moore is a republican said he's rather rather see a republican in that spot so we will have to uh Find out what's going on later on. So we're just about off the air here, folks. I've gone a bit over my time, but uh, it's been great. It's been beautiful. It's been wonderful. I hope you guys join the George Wilder Jr. Show tomorrow. I'm going to sign off and say have a great evening, have a wonderful evening, and have a safe evening.
6: Heaven help the child who never had a home Heaven help the girl who walks the streets alone Heaven help the roses if the bombs begin to fall Mm -hmm. Heaven help the black man if he struggles one more day Heaven help the white man, in he turns back away Heaven help the man, who kicks the man as a boy Heaven help the song From. Um...